You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. So it's not uh, uncommon for us uh, in our culture today, um, I'm sorry if the lights reflect off, uh, but for us to walk into a home, a place of business, uh, and see a mirror. I mean, that's just normal for us. There's kind of mirrors everywhere. Some of us love that. Some of us hate it. But uh, we, we, there's a mirror. And, and what mirrors do is they reflect some sort of an object. They reflect a substance. But, but the, the object in which it's reflecting is not an exact, an exact representation of what you're seeing in the mirror. It's merely just a reflection. It's an image. Um, it's not the substance. And so it would be foolish for me to fall in love with the reflection of my wife and not my wife, correct? I mean, that's a silly example, but, but often I think we can see things in life that reflect the goodness of the Lord, the gospel of the Lord, and yet we end up falling more in love with the reflection than we do the object. Everything that we will experience here on earth, everything is a mere reflection of who God is, what he has done for us, and the relationship that we're supposed to have with him. Marriage is one of those things. Marriage is a mere reflection of the goodness of the gospel. And sometimes, it's a very poor reflection, but it's what it's supposed to be. And so today is not a marriage seminar. I know that about half the room is not married. Uh, we have teens in the room. We have people that are single, divorced, widowed. So, so I don't want us to dive into this passage of scripture and think that we're only gonna be talking about things that apply to people that are married. But what we are going to talk about is what is marriage, how God has designed marriage, and how marriage is supposed to reflect to us the goodness of the gospel that Jesus has given us. Um, so we don't want to fall in love with the object. I put this here on purpose because I know some of you, like in this area, like don't know what your faces look like when you're looking at me. So now you can see yourself and like you can smile more and you can nod along. There we go. It's not always an accurate reflection, but this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 5.31. He's quoting Genesis 2.24. And this is what Paul says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. And then Paul adds in verse 32 of Ephesians 5. This is a great mystery, and I take it to mean Christ and the church. So I'm not making this up. I'm not coming up here and saying that marriage is a reflection of the gospel, and that's something that I'm making. This is something that the Apostle Paul is looking at in his culture. Paul, by the way, was known to be a man who is single. Um, he, he, was not, he was not married. Yet he's looking at marriage, looking how God designed marriage, looking at Genesis 2 and saying, God has a purpose for this, and this is what it's supposed to represent. This is what it's supposed to reflect. It's supposed to reflect Christ's relationship with his church. 
a beautiful marriage. You know what, what God calls this in Scripture? God calls us his bride, the bride of Christ. So how does this picture of marriage in Genesis 2 reflect the gospel? So let's pray, then we'll dive in. Jesus, we are so enamored by being able to sing your praises about your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace, but often, Lord, the things of this world can distort our understanding of who you are and what you have done for us. So God, as we look at marriage as a reflection of the gospel, I pray that our experience in life with marriage, maybe it's, maybe it's our parents that, that had a, a poor or a, a, a bad marriage. Maybe, maybe we are a product of divorce. Maybe, maybe we've experienced loss in our life. So, so this world, because of sin, can distort what you've initially and originally intended. So I pray, Lord, that you would allow us in our minds and our hearts to filter through some of that distortion and see clearly the beauty of the relationship that you intend for us to have with you, one that is intimate. There's this oneness, there's a completeness that we get to experience with you as your bride, with you as our Lord and Savior. And so, God, I pray that that today we can see marriage as a reflection of the beauty of your gospel. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. A foundation that we set last week is the same foundation that we're going to set this week because this is where we enter into verse 18. Same thing we entered into last week in verse 15. We see these words, the Lord God said. What we see in this is that when God speaks, God's word is the final word on the topic. We have to understand that. God speaks, his word is final. Yahweh Elohim, supreme God of all, the creator, the sustainer, and the author of life and how life is supposed to operate. There is no debating, arguing, or changing God's word. It is final period. So what the enemy does, the enemy who we have, have called many names, uh, but we could say the devil, we could say Lucifer, but the enemy, anything that's opposed to God, takes objects in our world and distorts and, and sells them as counterfeit. And he's done that with marriage. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to New York City. I grew up in New York. I grew up in Long Island. And so when you go to New York City, it is very fun to go to uh, 33rd and 3rd Street, and then you get a dirty water hot dog, and then you go down a back alley, and you buy some fake counterfeit purses and watches. That's just what you do. I did that growing up. And so you would buy Prada, and you would buy Gucci, and you would buy a Rolex, all counterfeit, all fake. I remember the first time I did that, and I brought one back to my bride. Uh, we were, I think, dating at the time. Um, and I remember that, like, the zipper didn't work, and, like, the inside was, like, all falling out. Why? Because it was a counterfeit. It wasn't real. That's what the enemy does to the things that God creates. God creates them as pure, and then the enemy distorts it and creates this counterfeit that he tries to then sell to us. The enemy's done this with marriage. 
The enemy attacks the husband and wife relationship in order to distort the reflection that God intends for it to have to the world around us. It's like those carnival mirrors. You know those carnival mirrors? I think there's a picture that's gonna come up on the screen. Like, this is what the enemy does. It, it's a reflection, yeah, I mean, I think we could probably put together what this guy looks like, but my guess is that that's not how as long as his face is or as long as his torso is or as big as his belly is. Like, it's all smoke and mirrors. And the enemy tries to distort what this is supposed to look like to the world around us. So what is marriage? Well, marriage, it's sad in some ways that I have to define it this way, but this is where we are in our world today. Marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman. Both made in the image of God. Intimately, intentionally, equally, with different roles, giftings, and biology. That's what God has intended. Anything else is a counterfeit and does not reflect his glory to the world. And I think we can go many places with this and talk about a lot of topics in this, but, but even we can go down to, and I know when I come off the stage, people uh, come up with like sometimes uh, like odd questions that they see in scripture, but polygamy is one of those things. That's seen in scripture. Polygamy is when, when a man will marry more than one wife. And the question will come up, well, what do you think about? Pastor, what is your opinion on this? Listen, anywhere you see polygamy in scripture, it always ends bad. Let me just say that. Like there's not one story in here where there's a man that has multiple wives where a good outcome happens. Because it's not what God has initially, originally intended. He intended for one man and one woman to be joined together, and the two shall become one. And this is a covenant that is supposed to be kept between these two fallen individuals, which makes it really hard. Because we're not talking about Lauren bringing 50% of her sin into our marriage and me bringing 50% of my sin into our marriage, therefore we total up 100% sin. What it is is her bringing 100% of her sin and 100% of my sin. Guess what the math adds up to? 200% sin. Like it's double sin. Now you add kids into that and you're at three, four, five, six hundred 600% sin. Like our houses are filled with sinners. And so because marriage is between two sinners, automatically there's this distortion that begins to happen. And this is where the enemy plays. He begins to, to pick apart, have these little whispers in our ears. Do you see when she did that? Do you see when he does that? And all of a sudden, we start seeing and hearing these things that begins to distort what God intends, which is for our marriages to reflect the gospel. So how does marriage reflect the gospel? So if you're single, if you're a teen, if you're divorced, widowed, I don't want you to tune out because there is a gospel um, connection in each one of these points. What we're gonna talk about today is how marriage was intended to reflect the gospel and how we, in our relationship with Christ, can experience these things. Sound good? 
Okay. First thing, marriage reflects community. Marriage reflects community. God created all humans for community. Look at verse 18. It is not good that the man should be alone. And then what does God do? God brings all of the animals before all living creatures, before man, and he begins to name all these animals. And what does it say? There was not a living creature on earth that was suitable for man. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. He could not experience the community that God intended for him to experience with any of these creatures. So community is for both man and woman. Not not man plus woman, but it's relationship with other humans. This word man, it's not good for man to be alone, is the Hebrew word Adam, mankind. So it's the same thing as saying it's not good for humanity to be alone. It's not good for humans to be alone. This word alone here is the word separate. It's actually the the visual picture of like a branch being separated from its tree. What would happen if you broke a branch or cut a branch off the tree? It would die. That's this word alone here. It's not intended to have life outside of how God originally designed it. And so, breaking off this branch would cause death. It's not good for man, woman to be alone, separate. And then this word helper. This is um, an image of being connected with others. That this connection brings nutrients in life like the limb being connected to the tree. But the word helper here is not less than. I think if we like go into like a workplace terminology and we say, uh, oh yeah, this man uh, or this woman, this ex- say, let's say executive has an assistant, in an org chart you would have CEO, assistant, and that would seem like a lesser position. That's not how this is intended to be. This word helper does not mean that. In fact, the word helper is attributed in Hebrew in Hosea 13.9 to God as being our helper, A-Z-A-R, Azer. It's used to describe God as our helper. So guess what? God is not less than you, nor is woman less than man. The helper that God has created for mankind to have is the unity in the family of God, that we are plugged into the family of God. Now, in context, Genesis 2, we're specifically looking at how marriage is intended to reflect community, friendship, enjoyment, intimacy. But in other passages of Scripture, we see that this is also speaking about the bride of Christ, just as we saw in Ephesians 5. So marriage and Christian community can reflect or distort God's beautiful good news. So let me break this down, because I know that we're, we're trying to talk about two different things here. We're talking about marriage, and we're talking about Christian community. God is intended for us not to be alone. It is our natural inclination when we are living in sin, when we are experiencing shame and guilt, to isolate. That is a normal process for us as humans. When you're watching the Discovery Channel and you're watching lions on the prowl, who do they go after? 
The people that are in the middle of the herd or those that are isolated? The predators go after those that are isolated. You don't know how many times as a pastor I hear weekly and even daily people that are struggling in their marriage, in their work, with addictions, with hurts, habits, hangups, whatever you may say, and they think that I don't want to bring my junk to anybody else. Like, I, I just need to deal with this stuff on my own, get healthy, then come back to the church. It's not how God has intended it. And if you're doing that, you need to stop it. Why? Because God has given us community. Now, let me speak to this. Many of you have been burned by other people that are fallen beings within the church. And I know that, and I'm sorry. That's not the way God intends it, but the enemy uses that as a tool to cause you to live in isolation. Therefore, it's gonna cause a distortion of what the gospel is. The gospel is actually about community. The gospel is about you and I linking arms together and doing life together, and it's messy. Guess what? It's messy because we're sinners. But God, if we keep him at the center, does amazing things. So God intends us to live in community, and marriage reflects that community to the world around us because we are supposed to have this relationship with a person. Now, the second thing that marriage reflects is oneness. Verse 24, the two shall become one. This is reflective on how the gospel is oneness with Jesus. Understand that my wife is not a side dish in my life. Does that sound silly? She's not a side dish. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. I cannot place anything in this world above her. In Ephesians 6, I'm called to lay down my life for her. So I see way too many marriages, and I counsel a lot of marriages, that leave, lead and live completely separate lives that they are just passing in the night, that they are pursuing their career, their hobbies, and their personal happiness over their spouse. And that's not how God intends for marriage to be. It distorts God's design. To experience oneness takes a lot of work, and that work is hard, and sometimes we need outside help to help counsel us through that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you aren't experiencing a loss of that right now in your lives and you're sitting here and you're just feeling this like weight, but I want you to know that the Holy Spirit and the gospel is bigger than your problems that you're having and God can restore. Oneness in marriage is intended to reflect the oneness that we experience in Jesus. Nothing in our lives is separate from Jesus. I think often the same thing that we see in marriage where like we have these two people living two separate lives is we, we also experience that in the gospel is that I have these things in my life that I kind of keep separate from God. 
these things in my life that I'm like, I, you know, I really enjoy this hobby or this thing, and it's going to be my thing, and then I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to live throughout the week this way, and then I'm going to go and participate in community group this way, but I'm going to have these two separate lives. We were not created to have a life separate from Jesus. And so whether you are single or married, you were created to experience oneness in Jesus. That's how God has intended and created you to be. Jesus is not a side dish in your life. He is everything that we were created for. Now here's the third point, and this one probably is the hardest one for me to articulate, because this one breaks down at all levels because we are sinners. But this is what we're talking about, remember, is this is supposed to be the reflection that God has intended for it to have. Marriage reflects completeness. And here's where I get that. God says in verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. So he brings every living creature, verses 19 and 20. Verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Fit for him, that word there means suitable. Opposite to. So in verse 23, when Adam proclaims, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, he's talking about God bringing him a helper, not lesser, not inferior, but one that is opposite to him who can see what he cannot see. So if I'm holding something up like my Bible and I'm showing this to you, you and I are looking at the same object, but in two different ways. So you're looking at me saying, I see black leather, I see gold writing, these are the words that I see, but I'm seeing something completely different. I'm seeing highlighters, I'm seeing notes, I'm seeing paper clips. We're looking at the same object, but from two different ways. This is how God intends for marriage to be, for us to look at something in our life and see something opposite to so that there is a complete vision for what God has placed before us. So often we go through life and we feel like we're opposed to our wife or opposed to our husband because we're not seeing the same thing. Often, we are looking at the same thing, but seeing two different sides. And what we need to do is learn to hear the other person and begin to understand that there is something bigger here than what I see, because what I see is incomplete. I could also do this with brothers in Christ. I can go to Miguel with something and say, hey, Miguel, I'm looking at something this way. I'm seeing my sin in this light. I'm seeing this. And, and Miguel's like, man, I'm seeing this completely differently. I can go to AJ and I'm like, AJ, I'm not understanding this thing. What do I do with this? And he's like, man, look at it from a different angle. That's what this word completeness means. It means that we're seeing something in community and in oneness that we begin to see what is said to be suitable or opposite to a helper fit for him. Now remember what I said is that this is a reflection, not the substance. Because 2,000 years ago, God wrapped himself in human flesh and he became our ultimate helper. For us, we get to experience the fullness of life in Jesus that's something that, that after the fall is destroyed. And so God placed the law 
into the lives of his people so that they could try to make atonement for their sin. But God for us has given us Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection so that we can have faith in him and experience the fullness of life. Guess what the fullness of life means? Completeness in Jesus. So when we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there is a completeness that we experience. So that's why I'm saying that you could be single, you could be divorced, and you could be married and still experience completeness because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. If I try to put all of my weight and all of my hopes and dreams in my wife, guess what? She will crumble under that weight and she will fail me because she is a sinner. But if I place my hope and my faith and my trust in Jesus, who will never fail me, who will never let me down, then and only then can I begin to understand what it means to experience that oneness and that completeness with my bride. So let me say this. This is super important. Because marriage isn't perfect and it never will be. Where marriage fails, the gospel prevails. Where marriage fails, the gospel prevails. I know I'm speaking to marriages right now that are hurting. I know I'm speaking to marriages right now that have disconnect. I know that. But where marriage fails, the gospel prevails. Here's the second thing. The gospel is not a replication of marriage, but the perfection of marriage. We have to understand that the gospel is the good news that we will receive. And so when we project our experience in marriage onto the gospel, that's wrong. But when we look at the beauty of the gospel, we can see what marriage was intended to be, the reflection of the gospel. And here's the last thing. This is just a, a, a little nugget. You do not need to be married to find your oneness and your completeness in Jesus. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that singleness is a gift. Jesus and Paul both lived lives being single. Jesus lived it perfectly, and he fulfilled his mission. Paul is a sinner, but fulfilled the mission that God had called him to in his singleness. But God did design marriage to reflect the type of relationship that we can experience with him, intimate, interactive. And so my ask was that you, is that you would not be satisfied with mediocrity in your marriage that you would not be satisfied with that, that, that you would understand that the number one tool, if you are married in this room today, that the number one tool that God has given you to proclaim the goodness of the gospel to the world around you, to every man, woman, and child, in every place you live, work, and play, like you can reflect the gospel. The number one tool he has given you for that is your marriage. And when there's brokenness there, it becomes impossible to reflect that good news of the gospel. And so we need help. And so my ask today is that if you are struggling, or even if it's not banging on all cylinders, please come to your leadership, your elders, your community groups, get plugged into biblical community so that we can help you become who God has called you to be in your marriage. Marriage reflects covenant. This is the last point. I'm gonna invite Miguel to come back on up. Verse 24. It says, hold fast, that the man shall hold fast to his bride, and he shall leave and cleave. This word is cling to, permanency, daily commitment to hold fast. 
again, reflective of the covenant that God has made with, God has made with man. But we have to understand that even when we fail, God is still faithful. That's the covenant that he has made with us. Because of his great love, he clings to us no matter what. And so if you're here today and you don't know who Jesus is, I want you to know that Jesus knows you. That your name is in his heart and in his mind and he wants a personal, intimate, interactive relationship with you. He wants you to know who he is. And if you want to find out more about who God is and what he's done for you, please come talk to us afterwards because we want you to know that God is good and his love endures forever. Marriage is a reflection of the gospel to the world. At this time, we are going to take communion. Communion is a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. When he was sitting with his disciples, he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, drink this because this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we see the practice of communion, the, the ordinance of communion within the context of a gathered people of God, there's a couple of things that we see. One, if your heart is not in the right place to come and remember the goodness of the Lord through communion, the Bible tells you to, to hold on, to don't come right away. It says that actually if you have a grievance against a brother or a sister, to go to that person and forgive. And so we just talked a lot about marriage. If there is some kind of thing going on in your marriage right now. There needs to be reconciliation. So that may just look like you two coming together and praying together right now. It might just be you coming together. Um, I do this with my wife often, uh, sometimes before communion, if we can, before my shuffle coming off. Um, but we sit and we just pray before, um, or we go and get communion, we sit down and we pray. Um, but this is a time to reconcile. If there's someone in this room that you need to reconcile with, reconcile. Um, but the good news of coming before these tables is to remember that you are forgiven. Every sin that you have ever committed, past, present, and future, is forgiven by God. And it says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So use the time that you are walking through the aisles here and in the middles over here and in the back um, as a time of confession. You can get up or you can do it at your seat and you can say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things that I have done. The things that I know, and maybe you can name them, or the things that maybe I've forgotten. And then when you take it and you place, take that bread and you dip it in the cup and then you eat it, you could remember that God has covered all past, present, and future for you and that you are forgiven and that he is someone who will restore. So if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, there is something going on in my marriage, like know that he is the great restorer of all things and he wants to redeem your marriage so that it will reflect the gospel to every man woman, and child. Can I pray for us? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. I know often we can come before your word and see it, and sometimes uh, it, it, it makes sense, and sometimes it can be somewhat confusing, and there are moments where we look at things like marriage whether it's our personal marriage or our experience with marriage, maybe it's how we've experienced marriage through our parents or aunts, uncles, grandparents, um, maybe siblings, um, maybe there's been abuse, hurt, divorce, pain. 
God, I pray that we would remember that the beauty of your gospel is not a replication of our experiences or our perception, but that the gospel is the perfection of marriage, ultimately between us as your bride and you as the groom. So as we partake of communion, Lord, I pray that we would remember the sweetness that you have purchased our lives with your life. That we would remember, Lord, that you have given us the fullness of life. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would convict their hearts, that you would reveal to them your love, mercy, and grace, and that maybe, just maybe, them coming and taking communion is their first act of true faith. We love you. We thank you. We lift this up in your name. Amen.